horrified and and uh, I don't I don't know if you know this, but those are the kind of things that that just a pastor there we go. That a pastor loves to see, that a pastor loves to see people that are growing in the Lord, that they are worshiping him with all that they have. And uh, it's just been a huge blessing to me. And, and uh, God's showing up. God is doing things in this church right now. And I'm excited to see what's going to be happening as we continue to move forward. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, continue on in our series of what the Bible says about healing. So if you remember, um, Two weeks ago, we, we talked about who the author of sickness was. And uh, what we determined was is that God is not the author of sickness. Truth is that there's a devil who brought sickness into this world, um, and he's the one that uses sickness to infect people, to impact people, to, to basically ruin their day. But God isn't going to use uh, something that is from the enemy as a tool in his handbag to, to, to try to guide you or direct you or to, to teach you a lesson. God is not going to do that. And we saw that uh, the reason for that is because if, uh, if you remember the time that they said, oh, he's casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, and he says, well, if that's the case, then the kingdom would be divided. And God's not going to do that. Because if it was God's will for you to be sick, and then he healed you, he would be violating his own will, and it just doesn't make any sense. So then last week we began to look at, well, what does the Bible actually say about healing? And what are the promises in the Bible that are referred to uh, about healing? And we went through and we looked through multiple scriptures, multiple verses that demonstrated that, that God has promised to heal us. And through the power of his son, through the, the death, resurrection, and burial of his son, our healing has been purchased in that. As long as you were born again, you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It says that by his stripes, we are healed. And we went over the, the big contention that people have with that is, oh, no, no, that's Isaiah that is quoting from. He's talking about the nation is being healed. But we looked in, in uh, uh, Matthew or Mark 17, I think Matthew 17, where, it's, where he said that Jesus went around healing all who were sick, and this was to fulfill what was, uh, what was spoken in Isaiah. So if the apostles can say that that was referring to physical healing, I think that we're safe to say that that wasn't just natural healing he was talking about, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have healing in him. And then today I want to take some time and focus on, uh, like I said, we know that God's not the author of sickness. We know that there are promises in the Bible that refer to healing. Today I want to talk to, to speak to the reality that, that it's not just a, a, uh, uh, a general thing, but God actually wants you healed. You specifically, not just anybody. Because that's, that's the thing, if you were reading a newspaper and you saw an article that said so-and-so won the lottery. And you're like, oh, that's, that's okay. We see those stories all the time. We don't even give it a second thought. We see it all the time. And we're like, oh, that, I guess that's great for that person. But what if you were reading that same paper and it said, you won the lottery? All of a sudden, your ears are going to perk up because now it's personal. Now it has something to do with you. And that's the reality of one, the gospel, and that the, the God's attitude towards you, and in this case we're going to be talking today, is healing. It's not that God wants everybody healed. We hear that God loves everybody. God wants everybody healed, and we're like, oh, that's great, but they're probably not talking about me. But the reality is, is that he is talking about you specifically. He loves you. He cares for you, and he wants you healed. 
Because you see, we, we tend to think that there's something unique in our lives that makes us unredeemable or unforgivable or unlovable by God. We look at the people around us and we go, well, I get why he loves them. Or I can understand that. I can see that. But we look at our own lives and particularly um, most of us, I would probably say all of us, have stuff that we haven't told anybody. Like, Pastor Wayne, I understand how you can say that, that he loves me, but you don't know about some of the stuff that I did. And if you knew about the things that I've done, you would understand that there's no way that God could love me. I am unlovable by God. And for some reason, we get this idea in our head that we're unique. We're the one person that God can't love, that God can't do something for. But I want you to know that there's nothing that you can do, that you have done, that you ever will do that is going to surprise God. He knows you. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're you're going to do. And guess what? He still loves you. See, that's the thing is God doesn't love us because of the things that we've done. Actually, God loves us in spite of the things that we've done. And that's kind of an amazing thing. And it's not like that he just closes his eyes and says, I'm just going to ignore the bad stuff. Anybody ever done that with your kids? They've been just messing up so much. And you're like, I can keep punishing them, but I feel like I've been grounding them for like 18 years. And I just want to, you know, I'm just going to ignore this one. And we turn a blind eye. But that's actually not how God did with us. Because when we do stuff like that, we're actually not being just. When your kids mess up, uh, justice would be to, to correct them. Matter of fact, it's your responsibility because if you don't correct them, they begin to develop habits that put them into situations and habits and, and conditions when they go out into the real world, they, they fail. Because they've never had to do the right thing. But God doesn't do that with us. Actually, he sent his son to pay that price because God is still just. The things that you've done, to be be clear, there was a payment that had to be made. There was a, a debt to be paid, but Jesus paid that debt for you if you're born again, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior. And the thing is, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus because your old life is dead and gone. It's been buried. And you have Jesus living inside of you. So when you come to God, he doesn't see your failures. He sees the success of Jesus Christ. And he loves and he values you. Not he loves and values everybody, but you specifically. He cares about you. Luke 12, 6-7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? See, we don't even understand that. There's nothing sold for two pennies. We can't even comprehend something being sold for two pennies. But he said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. I know what you're thinking, Alan. That's pretty easy for God with you, but, but uh, he still knows. And don't feel bad. you got more hair on your face than I can ever grow. I, I have to live vicariously through other people's beards because I can't grow one. Hallelujah. But he knows everything about you. And his nature, God's nature, is to take care of his creation. Even the stuff that we would consider uh, less significant or less of value. He's talking about sparrows. And they're sold for a couple pennies. In today's day and age, that would be like us saying, oh, you can get them a dime a dozen. But you can't get anything a dime a dozen anymore either. But to say it, it's super, uh, there, there was no value to these sparrows. And God says, look, these things are worth nothing, but I still take care of them. 
Now, if that's the case, if something that is, that is objectively less valuable than you is taken care of by God, then why wouldn't the one who gave everything for you, who sent his son to die on the cross for you, who gave up everything that he had so that you could live, why wouldn't he take care of you? How much more so is he going to care about the one he gave his very life for? Because I can tell you one thing. God never died for sparrows. But he did for you because he loves you. And the truth is, God cares about you individually, and he had a unique plan for your life. This is what it says in Psalm 139.16. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is why you don't surprise God with the things that you've done. God was never shocked. God was never upset. He's not, he's not been like, oh, I can't believe you did that. I didn't see that coming. God's never said that because he knew every one of your days they were laid out before him. And he still sent his son for you. He still gave up everything for you because God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He knows what's going to happen in it. And today I really want to focus on that. The title of the message is God wants you healed. Because we have to understand that God actually wants us healed, that he cares about us individually. And today is the focus of that reality, that it's not just a good idea. It's not a hope. It's not a whim. It's not something that we beg God for. But this is actually his will to heal us. And he knows the secrets and the things that you've done, that you've hid away, the stuff that you haven't even told your spouse, the stuff that you won't even admit to yourself anymore. And not only does he not reject you, but he's calling you to come. He's standing at the door knocking. And he says, you have no idea what I have planned for you. Come. The truth is, is that he wants to do it. Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head as we finish, finish up here. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. And Father, I pray this morning that, uh, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would let me speak clearly. And uh, the, the words that I have to say would be understandable. And Father, I pray that your word would find fertile soil in the heart of every person that's in here this morning. Father, I pray that we would leave here with a greater understanding and truthfully a, a greater revelation of how you feel about us, that you care about us. And I pray that our faith would increase as we hear your word and that we would be able to step out in faith in the promises that you've made towards us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first scripture I want to look at today is Psalms 103.3. And it says, Who forgives all your inequity and who heals all your diseases. Did you know that all diseases can be healed by God? See, we, we, we tend to have this categorization of things because uh, we, we tend to look at, if it's, if it's hard for, for, for the medical industry to heal, it must be hard for God to deal with. Some things must be more difficult, right? So, so uh, you know, you get a bacterial infection, we can hit it up with, with uh, antibiotics and bang, it's gone. So that's probably not too big of a deal for God to heal with. But I mean, cancer, that's a big deal. Or AIDS or hepatitis, all these things, that, those, those must be big deals. But this, the thing is, is God can heal all of your diseases, all of your sickness, no matter what it is. There's not a thing in this world that God is not big enough to take care of. No problem is too great for him. Matthew 9.35, 
And the New Testament says something similar. It says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. How many of you know that when the Bible says every, it means all of them? It doesn't mean there was a sunset that were too difficult. It doesn't mean that there were some people that came up to him and he said, You know what? You just got some stuff going on in your life. If you'll take care of this, this, and this, come back on Monday. Maybe we'll talk about it and see how you're doing. The scripture never says that. When Jesus went up to people, he healed them because that's his desire and his will to do so. Psalm 147.3 says, and he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This is a great scripture. If you think about what's happening in history at this moment when there's when with this this is speaking about so basically the Medes and the Persians they had captured Babylon in 539 BC and then in 537 BC Cyrus issued a decree permitting the Jews to return to their homeland so you remember the Jews they had been taken captive carted off to Babylon and now they're finally getting released to go back and led by Zerubbabel they went ahead and a large band of exiles went back to Judah to the next year and they began to rebuild the temple and then right after that, Nehemiah came in, in 444 BC. Right after that is debatable, depending on how you look at time in these long distances. Um, but uh, he, he came back and he, he restores the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And we see that even in this instance, he's beginning to heal the broken heart of these people. They've been cast out. They've been taken captive, mainly because they've been doing dumb stuff. You ever notice when you do dumb stuff, you put yourself in a position where God's not able to bless you, that God's not able to do anything in your life, and the next thing you know, you're in a mess. And then all of a sudden, you cry out to God. And if you take a step back and look, you're like, man, if I would have cried out in the beginning instead of waiting till it was a mess, if I would have just trusted him. But anyway, they're in the mess. But the thing is, is it doesn't matter what they did. They've made a mess. They've done dumb stuff. But God still loves them. He still cares about them. And he begins to heal their broken hearts, bring them back to where they were. And it says that he's going to heal their broken hearts and he's going to bind up their wounds. You know, what I love about this idea of healing broken hearts. Did you know that all sickness, all disease, if you will, is not physical? You know, sometimes the stuff that we deal with is is mental. There, there's stuff that's going on. The, the reality is that, that depression is a real thing. Right now, I, I say we have a whole slew of mental illnesses in this country that are being celebrated as diversity. They're being celebrated as a good thing. But the truth is, is that, that people need Jesus. They need healing in their life. Sometimes you're going to see emotional sickness, depression, people struggling with stuff that, that doesn't even seem... Have you ever had a situation in your life and, and you know that you're down, you're not feeling great, nothing's working out, and people are like, what's wrong? And you're like, I don't know. I, I, objectively, I look at my life and everything should be great, but for some reason I'm beat down, I'm wore out. There's stuff that happens in our life. It's not always just a, a virus or bacteria, but he heals those things too. You know what? There's no medical diagnosis for brokenhearted. You can't go to the doctor and he says, call me, take two of these and call me in the morning. But there is a physician that can heal him and that's our God. He can be there for that. He can heal our broken heart. He can bind up where we're wounded. Did you know this is the reason why that God is referred to the great, is referred to as the great physician? We've all heard that. Just in case you're wondering, that's not in the Bible anywhere. There's not a scripture that refers to him as the great physician. That's something that we refer to him 
people that know him. That's how we refer to him because that's the nature of who he is. We see the nature of a physician in him as he is healing us, as he's working in us and touching us. And that's the great thing about it is he created us. He knows how we work. He knows how the bits and bobs go together. All the stuff that we're trying to figure out in science, like why does this happen? Why does that happen? Particularly the the mental health issues. He knows how all that works. He can put it back together the way it was because he created it. How many of you know that if you have an issue with something and you don't know why it's working, I mean, can you imagine if, if, if you had a problem with your, with your car, a specific part, and you had the guy that created that part come and take a look at it? I bet you he'd figure it out pretty quick. He made it. And that's how God is, and he has the heart of a physician. He has the heart to put stuff back together the way he and God doesn't like that his creation is messed up. This was not God's will for things to be so broken. We looked at that, right, in the author of sickness. We saw what God's will is, is for us to be whole. That's how it was in the beginning, before, before Adam and Eve uh, ate from the, the, the fruit from the, 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 the garden. Or the, oh, I'm having a brain fart. I was doing so good. But the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? He, he, they ate from that fruit, and, and then uh, sickness and death begin introduced. But then we look at heaven, and it says that all tears are wiped away. There's no sickness or death in heaven. So we look at the beginning, and it's his will that there was no sickness. And then we come over here, and we look at the end, and it's his will that there's no sickness or death. God's not happy with what's going on in the middle. The thing is, is that he wanted to have a real relationship with us. So he gave us free will. And that man, I I wonder, I know he doesn't regret the decision because if he did, he wouldn't have done it in the first place. But for crying out loud, do we mess that up all the time? And he knows how we work. And he desires for us to be whole, just like humans were created in the beginning and just like when the enemy the, is, is, is finally finished, when death is, is put under his foot as a footstool, when it's finally done, we're going to be made whole again. The problem is, is too many of us are looking for that one day in the future, one day in his, is that God wants us to have a little bit of heaven right now. What I love about this is the ones that he healed were those who returned They returned to Jerusalem. They returned to the temple. They returned to keeping him at the focus of their life, to making him be the preeminent thing in their life. And for us, it's like those of us who return like the prodigal son. When we finally realize that, man, things aren't right, I just need to go back home. And we come walking in and God sees us like the father and he just hikes up his clothes and he's off down the road. Because he loved them that much. I won't go into it, but the significance of that is it was actually considered shameful for a grown man to hike up his clothes and start running like that. But the father didn't care about shame. He wanted his son. And we're welcomed with open arms and returned to the right status that Adam, in, that Adam had before he fell. And Hosea 6 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, but he will bind us. Back up. Verse 2, if you, if you read this, it actually says after two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise up, 
raise us up that we might live before him. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You see, Paul actually references Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15.4 as well. It says that he was buried, that he was raised up on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It's talking about Jesus. It says that, that we were bound, he has torn us, that he may heal us, he has struck us down, that he would build us up. As Christians, we understand then that this is done by faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus took the punishment. He took the tearing for us. He was struck down for us so that we wouldn't have to. And in this particular case where Hosea is speaking, Israel's being rebuked by God. And Hosea is, speaks prophetically in the reply to God. But they're being rebuked again. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes we're just dumb. We just, we just can't get it through our thick heads. And, and I see it even in my own life. You know, I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm supposed to do everything right, just so you know I don't. But I'll look at my life and I'm like, why do I keep repeating some of the dumb things? You ever get in a situation where you're struggling with something, so you dive into the Word, you're the time, and then as things get better, that slowly tails off the other end. And then all of a sudden, you're doing life by yourself, and it blows up again. That's what happens to me. I start doing life by myself, and, and God is a distraction on the side. And then things blow up, and I'm like, oh, man, i got to get back into God. And then I do, and all of a sudden, things start straightening out again. And you would think that I would learn, but this has been a cycle for me probably my entire life. It's getting shorter and shorter, amen? I'm growing. The cycle doesn't last as long. I'm spending more time with God and less time trying to do things on my own. I thank God that, that uh, we don't have to remain the way that we've always been, that we can grow each and every day. But the reality is, is that when we see this stuff that he has torn us, he struck us down, that, that, that there, there is a punishment for sin. There is a requirement. We all know the wages of sin is death. But he paid it in Jesus so that we didn't have to. But I do believe that we can walk in such a way that we limit God's ability to bless us. I do believe that we can, like I said, I've lived my life in those cycles a lot of times and I remove myself from position for God to, to bless me because really my eyes aren't on them like they should be. Luke 13, 34 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Who wasn't willing? Yeah. The, he's talking about the, the Israelites right here, but that certainly includes us. And that's what happens. And, and you guys have heard me you talk about the Scripture before. I love the analogy that God uses. It's one of my favorites. Because it's this picture of a mother hen trying to gather her chicks in. And I love this idea of a wing. If you've ever had a wing spread out, you'll see that when it does, the feathers begin to spread out and they're not close together anymore. And can you imagine that if, if, if this mother hen's putting her, her arms around the chick, her wings around the chick, she's trying to drag them in. But if they're pushing really hard, if they're unwilling, they can poke through those feathers. I must be preaching good. I just spit. Did you see that? So they... They, they push through the feathers. And I think that's what we do. God's trying to gather us in. And we press through so many times when we put ourselves in a position where God wants to bless us. He wants to keep us close. He wants to, to work through us. And we put ourselves in a position where He's unable to work. 
Not unable because he's physically unable, but because he says that, that, that if, if we push him away, that's what he's, the, the system that he set up is that we have the will to push him away. And God never forces himself in your life. I'm glad he does that with me, but for some other people, I wish he would force their way in their life. Sometimes I wish I could force God into their life. But the thing is, if you've been in a place where you're running away from God, even when he attempts to pull you close, you don't have to stay that way. You can stop pushing. You can start running the other way towards him. And I, when we return to God, when we press in, we put ourselves in a position that we can be blessed and protected. And that's where he, he heals our sicknesses. He heals our hurts. He binds us back up and he makes us whole. In Luke 4, 18 through 22, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to those captive, to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and all who spoke well of him. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? I love this because this is a, the first time that Jesus says, this is what I'm here for. And Jesus, he goes back home to Nazareth and he's in the synagogue and he's asked to read the reading that day. And it's likely that news of his, his ministry had gotten back to officials, but he begins to quote Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, and, and all the people there, all I mean, these, these are smart guys. They're well-versed in the Scripture. They know that the Scripture refers to the Messiah. There's no doubt when Jesus says, this is fulfilled in your hearing today, that, uh, uh, where is it at? This scripture's been fulfilled in your healing hearing. We know that when he said that, they knew exactly what he meant. They weren't confused. They weren't uh they didn't think maybe he misunderstood. Like he's coming out and saying that I'm the Messiah. God sent me for this. This is my very purpose. And this was a shock to everyone who's present because they thought that the Messiah was going to be a political figure, a strong house, going to free them from Roman, from Roman rule, free them from oppression. But Jesus said, no, that's not who I am. I've come here to, to, to be your Savior in, a, in a, a physical and spiritual sense, not from your, from your government, but from what's going on inside of you. And these people, they had to make a choice. And they could do, we could, we could make the same choice that we did, or that he did, or they did, and, and reject him. The, the scripture says when we have that kind of attitude, we, we put him to the cross again. And it doesn't mean that every time Jesus or, or we sin or we do all these things that he goes back to the cross, but it means is that we, we begin to have the same attitude that the people that rejected him have. And that attitude was to send him to the cross, to reject him, to say he wasn't who he says he was. So we have an opportunity, we have a choice. And the, it's been presented, one of my favorite ways it's been presented is the, the three L's. You have a choice to receive Jesus. It's the only way that you can. He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. There's actually no other option. This idea that Jesus was just a good man, he never presented that as an option. He came out and said, this is who I am. 
So the option that he was just a good man, that he was just a prophet, was never presented. So he is either a liar, or he's bonkers, or he is who he says that he is. That's the choice that we have to make. Well, the one thing that I can tell you is that in in, in secular and non-secular writings, there is no indication that Jesus was a liar, and there was no indication that he was crazy. Nobody thought that. You can look in in Christian and non-Christian writings, religious, non-religious writings, and nobody ever says the guy was wacko. Nobody ever said his character was called into question that he was a liar. So that leaves only one option. Him being a good man isn't one of them because of who he said he was. And we have to make a choice. Is he crazy? Is he a liar? Was he sent for this purpose? Did he come to to set the captives free, to recover sight to the blind, to give freedom to those who are oppressed? Did you know that if you are dealing with a disease or a sickness, you are being oppressed right now? He came here to set you free. This was his purpose. When we talk about that, I want you to understand that he came here, uh, God specifically wants you healed. This is what he came for, was for you. And he did it because he loves you. That, that right there was the best time in this whole message you could have said amen. He loves you. Amen. And that's why he did it. And he didn't do it because he was forced. He didn't do it because he was coerced. He did it because he wanted to. He keep wanted to for you. In John 5.19 it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. How can we be sure that's what he actually wanted to do? How can we be sure that it was God's will that he comes to heal us. How can we, this whole point that you're making today, Pastor Wayne, how can we be sure that God actually wants me healed? One thing I can tell you right now is Jesus is perfect theology. One of the, the, the craziest phrases that I hear that, that, that if you all know me, you know I don't like is when people say God works in mysterious ways. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. We have so much greater revelation of who he is than anybody has ever had in the history of the earth. And we see that in his son, he made plain the mysteries of who he was. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. Matter of fact, God's will has been laid to bear, and you can look at Jesus' life and see what God's will is. It says, Jesus said, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So what the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So you know what that means? When you look at what Jesus did, that's what God does. That's what God's will was. Whatever you see Jesus doing is the will of God because he can only do what God wants to do, what the Father wants to do. So God is revealed to us in his Son. The will of God is revealed to us in his Son. These are things that we can know. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to wonder, is God working in a mysterious way? You know why people say that? It's because things happen the way that we don't think God should do them, so we begin making excuses for God. That's really what that phrase comes down to. Or it's supposed to be some weird way when a, when a, a, a mother loses their, their kid to cancer. It's supposed to be some weird way to comfort them. Oh, God must have had a plan. This was God's will. No, it wasn't God's will for cancer to kill your kid. It never was God's will. Cancer is never God's will. None of that stuff. And we've got to stop having crazy platitudes describing God in a way that he's not. There's an enemy that came to kill and destroy. That's his purpose. But God's purpose is for us to be whole. 
And when we look at the life of Jesus, not once did he ever turn anyone away from healing. There was only one time that he fought back a little bit. And that was the Canaanite woman. You remember she comes up to him and, and she, she has the possessed daughter and she sneaks up and he's like, he's like, wait a minute. What's going on here? Why are you asking for this? This isn't for you. It's not my time yet. And that's the one where she says, well, she says, you know, why should I give my food to the dog? She's like, well, even the dogs get a crumb when it falls off the table. And he goes, wow. He marveled. It's one of the few times Jesus marveled at her faith because she had understanding of, of who God was and what his will was. And the only reason he pushed back at all wasn't because it wasn't his will, because it wasn't his time. But at seeing her faith, he said, forget about time because of your faith, because the reality was is that was his will to heal her daughter. She's not a Jew. She's done nothing to deserve it, to earn it. She just believed in who he was. And it's not the only time we see, we see that God's willing. In Luke 5, 12 through 15, it says, while, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Leprosy was a nasty business. It was not a, a good disease to have, least of which you were spurned by, by the society around you. Because it would cause you, not only are you going through an incredibly uh, physical ordeal on your body, but you're ostracized from the community as well. You actually had to walk around with a bell, ringing it, going unclean, unclean, so people knew you were coming so that they wouldn't touch you, they wouldn't be in your vicinity, so that they wouldn't be considered unclean as well, that they wouldn't get sick. You had to stay outside the city. You weren't even allowed inside. You couldn't live at your home. You were kicked out. And you weren't allowed to worship. You see, this story is amazing because Jesus isn't a Jesus is a, is a is a Jew, and he understands the the law, and he followed the law as a Jew while he lived. Matter of fact, there was a lot of times, even the the scripture Joseph talked about this morning as he was doing uh, uh, the offering. Jesus said, "I want you to know that that we're sons and we're free, but to not give offense, we're going to go ahead and pay the tax. We're going to do the right thing, just like when he was baptized." John's like, whoa, I can't baptize you. He's like, no, to, to let the law be filled, let's go ahead and do it. Because Jesus understood the law. That's actually why Jesus said, I didn't come, come back to, to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Because not one letter of the law, not one, one iota is going to go away. So Jesus shouldn't have been in the presence of this guy, let alone touch him. And he says, Jesus, he says, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will. Other translations say, if you're willing. And Jesus says, I will, or, or I am willing. So this man comes up. Jesus touches the man that he should not only have been with, he should have, definitely shouldn't have touched him. And he says, I am willing. He was able to look past what everybody else in this society couldn't. 
and he didn't reject him. He didn't turn him away. No matter how bad it was, he still called them in. And he says, I am willing. This is what God wants to do for us, church. And I love seeing this. I love seeing the heart of Jesus. I love reading what Jesus does because you get to see the heart of God. And you think to yourself, if there was anything that was great enough to keep Jesus away, it would have been leprosy. But he still says, come. And he did it anyway. And why? It's because that person was valuable to him. No matter how bad he was, no matter what state he was in, no matter what was going on, he was still valuable to Jesus. He loved him. And church, this is Jesus' attitude towards every single person in this room. He loves you. And then he was sent to, to the priest to be proclaimed fit for worship. See, that was a big thing. If you got healed, you still had to go to the priest and the priest and prove that you were healed. I love that little bit in here because Jesus is like, look, this isn't a joke. This isn't a, uh, some sort of trick. You're healed. Go talk to the priest. Prove that it's so. This is the real deal. Not, he wants to heal you, and he wants to do it all the way. Matthew, and there's, there's more. Matthew 8, 5 through 7 says, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. So this is a Roman centurion. This is an interesting case here because it's, it's a Roman. He's a centurion. That means he's in charge of 100 soldiers. And this guy is, is kind of unique because the Jews actually like him. He's a pretty good guy. And... Uh, uh, most Roman soldiers were despised because of the way they treated the Jews, but, but this one had actually built the Jews a synagogue. And th- they liked him. And, and this is why we see that it was a Jewish elders that actually sent this soldier to ask for help from Jesus. And the soldier is actually asking about his servant, and he's operating in a godly manner, and he's respecting the like and health of even those that are in a lower position. And this is actually a pretty good guy. And we see an interesting thing here because regardless if he's a a unique Roman soldier, he's a pretty good guy, he's still a Roman soldier. He's not a Jew. And we saw earlier when I talked about the the Canaanite woman that Jesus came first to the Jews. The Gentiles hadn't been, he's not available to the Gentiles yet. But Jesus says, you know what? I will come and heal him. That's an amazing story because he's not a Jew. He's not. Uh, one of God's chosen people at this point in time. He's not been, the, the, the gospel has not been presented to the Gentiles. And, and God says, you know what? I'll come and I'll heal him. God isn't a respecter of persons. If God is going to the ungodly, if God is going to the unlovely, God will certainly go to you. Jesus says, I will come. And there's more. Mark 4.35-36 says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, took with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with them. And then this story goes on. And uh, chapter 5, verse 1-5, through five, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the, the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he had wrenched the chains apart. He had broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is an amazing story, too, because Jesus is to the crowds. 
He's, he's doing his thing. He's healing the sick. sick. He's preaching. He's, 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 he's gathering people in, telling them to know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's, he's doing his thing. And he gets up and he jumps on a boat and he heads to the other side. And this is interesting because he is ministering to a crowd. And he leaves for one person. He shuts everything down. He sh- jumps in a boat. He heads across the sea there, and and he gets over there to minister to one person. There wasn't a crowd there. And it's likely these aren't even Jews, because if you know the rest of the story, it's it's, uh, Legion that's inside this guy, and and he he gets the Legion goes out and goes into a herd of pigs. If you didn't know this, the Jews didn't, didn't farm pigs, herd pigs. If they did, they weren't very good Jews. So this is likely uh, not Jewish people over here. This is, this is, this is Gentiles. And he, he leaves with the sole purpose of ministering to this one person who is a mess by all accounts. Because the truth is, his desire is for none to perish. His desire is for no one to not be healed. And Jesus casts out the demons. He completely restores this guy. And if you remember the story, they all get mad at him. Because the demons went out of the dude into a herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs jumped off the cliff. The only thing that makes pigs dumber is by putting demons in them, and then they jump off cliffs, and they get mad at him. And this is an amazing story because I just don't follow the the logic in all of this. They see what happened to this guy, but they're more concerned with their pigs and the fact that this guy's life was turned completely around. This guy is, is he was, used to be naked and cut up and acting crazy. And now he's sitting there talking normally. He's a normal guy. He's completely healed. And they're upset about the pigs. Church, never be upset when someone gets touched by God. Even if you have to give up something for it, give up everything that someone might come to know the knowledge of the truth. Never let anything be more valuable to you than another man's life. Amen? And this, this, this president keeps going. He healed them all. Jesus, in Matthew twelve fifteen. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. Not some of them, but he healed them all. Matthew fourteen fourteen. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Matthew fifteen thirty through thirty one. Great crowds, great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. He healed everybody who came to them, to him. There is never once that Jesus turns anybody away. And if this is what Jesus did, it's what the Father's will is, because, like we said earlier, Jesus is perfect theology. And it's not just about what Jesus did. He commanded his disciples to do it as well. In Matthew uh, 15, 30 through 31. Oh, sorry. That was the, uh, the last of this one. 31. He healed them. So the crowd wandered, wondered. And when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. And then in Matthew 10, 7 through 8, it says, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, clean lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. He's sending out his disciples. This was the apostles' mission. When he sent 12 out, it was, it was the apostles' mission, and it's our mission as well. Except for now, 
We preach the redemption and forgiveness of sins. We preach health and wholeness because Jesus has accomplished it in him. And we see God's heart once again. Not only does he want to heal, but he wants us to go out and do the very same thing. It's the same reason that right after we're done here, we're going to have the opportunity for anybody who needs prayer, anybody who needs prayer for healing, we're going to follow what the Bible says. It says, anoint them with oil, lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We're going to pray for them right after this because... God has commissioned us to do the very same thing because it is his will for people to be holy. He says that, that you received without paying, give without paying. You received freely, give freely. And he gives us authority to do these things. You can say, Pastor Wayne, that's crazy. You can't just lay hands on them and they're going to become well. And I'd say that's not crazy because the scripture actually says that, that not only can we uh, heal the sick, we can raise the dead. This doesn't happen all that often, but there are confirmed cases of people being raised from the dead. Matter of fact, we had someone come and speak here once. I'm hoping to get him back again. Dean Braxton died on the operating table, was dead for an hour and 45 minutes and came back to life. He wasn't dead for an hour and 45 minutes. God does raise the dead still today. And he gives us the authority to do these things. And it wasn't just the apostles he sent out, it was all of his disciples. If you want to say, no, it's just the apostles, not us. And Luke 10, 1, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town, the place where he himself was about to go. Luke 10 through 8 through 9 is a little bit further down. It says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, you would have set before you, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So it wasn't just the apostles, but it was all his disciples that he sent out to heal the sick because this is his will for each and every one of us. It wasn't only the apostles and the first generation church that could do miracles. Miracles are for today, folks. We serve a supernatural God who was able to do supernatural things. And health and wellness always come with the kingdom of God, which is what we're proclaiming. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Health and wellness always come with it because God is whole and his kingdom is whole. Amen. In Acts 28, 26 through 28, it says, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, because they will listen. You know, salvation, wholeness, healing. It was initially sent to the Jews, but they rejected Jesus. So instead, he made it available to all of us. It's available to every single one of us, Jews, Gentiles alike. God isn't a respecter of person. And it's not like he changed his mind. We saw earlier before this that he did the, the Canaanite woman, the Roman soldier. Matter of fact, if you look in the Old Testament, that they were, they were commissioned with, with converting other people to Judaism as well. God is always intended for everybody to be included in his promises. But it's very specific here. It's made available to each. And every one of us, the Canaanite woman, she came a little bit early, but we've all been invited. Amen. And that's the thing is he never changes. We can't look and say, well, maybe that was 2000 years ago, but not for today. But Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He doesn't change. Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? 
Jesus isn't changing. God is not going to tell a lie. He's not going to change his mind. Healing is for each and every one of you in here today. And what was good for them 2,000 years ago is good for us today. The question is, or really the choice is ours. Are we going to believe he is who he says he is? That he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Or are we going to continue to press through those feathers and run away? Are we going to be just crazy enough to believe him at his word? Or are we going to make up excuses in our mind why this stuff can't work? Like I said, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to give the opportunity for anybody who needs healing to come up. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to trust God. We're going to be just crazy enough to believe that he is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And if we will come up here with that attitude, we will see God do miracles. I believe it with all my heart. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I've heard firsthand accounts from people that have seen it as well. God is a miracle worker. And he loves us. He loves you. And he wants the best for you. Amen?